President, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome John Bowman. Um, I would like to first of all thank President Higgins for his uh, generosity in inviting me to chair um, these Machnov seminars. Um, and I'm, it was over a number of years, as you know, COVID intervened and threatened to derail. But in fact, we can discuss this because I'm going to be talking to uh, Geroid and to the President um, presently. But in fact, I think that uh, COVID became, I won't quite say a friend, but it, it, it kept an audience there available with, with lots of hours to tune in. And it turned what might have been a different type of event into largely a television program in a way. I saw it as a sort of at last a television program which could go on instead of having wind-ups and signals that you had only so many minutes left. But let me also just say as a part of the introduction that the, the most important part, by the way, of this document here uh, that you have is, the, is the, the last page which gives access and access permanently and in all sorts of formats to the Machnov seminars. I should also say that th this is Machnov, although it brought a lot of historians to this house and to this uh, campus, it was not the first occasion of importance in tr search of the truth that historians assembled in Aarhus and Uchtheroyne. Because it's not that well known, not that well publicized, but an earlier president did invite a number of historians. Where the initiative came from, I'm uncertain. But in Eamon de Valera's time, a group of historians came up to interview de Valera. And I remember talking about this to Desmond Williams, who was one of the historians involved. And I'm afraid I cannot remember de Valera's answer, but I do remember uh, uh, Desmond Williams' question. Because the question was, looking back, Mr. de Valera, on your long career, can you tell us what you believe was your greatest error of judgment, if any? <laughs> so I, I, I do remember the if any, yes. Um, now, Machnev will have a residual effect in all sorts of ways because it's going to be available, as you will see from this, it's going to be available so many different formats and on the, uh, the president.ie uh, Machnev uh, site particularly, it will be there, I believe, indefinitely. So it means that for indefinitely, scholars and students and those interested in other ways will be able to access all the Machnev events. And what that uh, impact is going to be is, of course, difficult to evaluate, but they will be able to look at different chapters and so on. Whether modern um, media generally is, is the friend of history, it's, again, difficult to say. If one thinks, say, of something like a blockbuster film like Michael Collins' film, how can historians, through scholarship and individual volumes, no matter how their print run might be or their circulation might be, how can they compete with the memory and the residual effect of a, of a film of, on that scale? And I just, before coming to the interview with uh, 
with President and with Geroid. Might mention that I was asked once, just after the Collins movie, which I, I did not personally like, uh, I, I was asked by the committee in Brewery, would I come to chair an event there between Joe, Joe Lee? What the, the event was about Modern Ireland, it was not about the Collins movie, but would I come and chair an event there to discuss uh, Ireland in the 20th century? And I said I would, I said, but on, on two conditions. And I knew, I knew well that they would be more than interested in, but I said, I will do it uh, gratis, but I, I will do, do it on two conditions. One is that if I ever do another book on De Valera, that you will keep it, copy it, and have it available for sale in the library, in your bookshop, no matter what you think of the book. And you won't be endorsing it, but I would like that. And secondly, I want to speak for 10 minutes before the event about the Collins movie and its depiction of de Valera. Now, I well knew that they, this would be a plus for them, but I pretended that it was a condition for me. And of course they said yes. And then I was down at, at, a, at, a, at a, a, a supper before we got into the event. And I got a call from the Irish Times saying, I believe you're talking about uh, de Valera, the, the Collins movie and de Valera before this happens tonight, what are you going to say? And I, I said, look, I, I couldn't summarize it. Um, but I, I, so I didn't know, know any, I was surprised by the call. We went in and we did, the, we did the event. And a week later, I was in the RT library and I was just leaving and I was walking out, I saw a waste paper basket and with a headline, and the word just caught my eye, Bowman was the word, right? I was astounded. It was like a joke newspaper. And it was a copy of the Limerick Leader, country edition, on the previous Wednesday, saying, Bowman to defend de Valera in brewery. <laughs> so I put it in my briefcase, and I was told later that it was not in the city edition. But I, I, but I kept it anyway. But, but I want to say this to people like you who are often on committees. If such an event... I'm, disappointed in a way that the committee never told me or had a copy of it for me uh, because of course it's quite a prized possession for me to show to my grandchildren but that's the huge headline copy with Bowman to defend De Valera and Brewery so so thought I'd share that with you so um, I'm now going to take my seat here and invite the president and uh, Geroid to talk about Machnov and its possible impact uh, and its some, some of the background to it. President Higgins, first of all. What was your original idea behind Machnov? What did you want it to achieve? I think I wanted to get the widest possible audience for the new work that I knew had taken place on a number of particular themes. Uh, and in a way, a, a new critical scholarship had emerged. Now, some of it was new research. Uh, other pieces of the work, I thought, were very much people who had reworked their positions taking account of, of what were obviously uh, newly discovered manuscripts, accounts, diaries, and whatever. And I, uh, very, very much, if we wanted then 
to, to get the best use of all this, this was to share it and to share it as well, in a significant way as possible with the public. I was very conscious of a, a, an important distinction in my mind, and that was those who set out to honour somebody, which is a particular purpose. Another is to celebrate a happening that is there in collective memory. And then another part of it might be, in fact, actually to pay tribute to in a very direct way. But I wondered if, as it were, to try and recover context. What was the atmosphere? What do we know now about the atmosphere insofar as we have probably many more new facts? We also have people who have offered recollections. And very, very early on in that first session, you know, when we were dealing with memory, uh, and uh, there is, for example, there's the, tra the trap of memory because uh, it is the event is over and it's being recalled. So there's the problems of recall. And then, in addition to that, there is with whom it has been uh, communicated. So you have personal memory, collective memory. You have memory being used for a particular uh, purpose. What I was very conscious of, and I can see now where we're I'm such, what is a celebratory occasion and the publication of these two volumes, is of trying to be as authentic as one could uh, in relation to the facts and the events in their period. In other words, not to look at it through a filter of fishing the past to suit the present. And I, I sensed that. I that in a way that there was very, very much, it, it, it is uh, something that arises in other parts of history as well, uh, where you feel you have, as it were, uh, to fall over backwards so as to make sure that the previous antagonism you had didn't exist and, and so on. So in a way I, I was, I used the phrase then about the hospitality of memory. What I meant by that was very, very much is that rather than formal accounts, what was easy to access in the first goes of the history, what about the women, for example, who had been left out, what about uh, working people, what about the people who went about their work every day, emigrants and so forth, in other words, the voices from below. And that's, that was the way my mind was working. But I also wanted, I knew, uh, and very, pleased that you mentioned indeed that Cavalera's inviting historians here. I wanted something significant to be there after we had done that, that we would that we would have been have a hospitality of narrative, that we would do it ethically, that wouldn't be attempt or if there was a distortion could be quickly discovered and corrected. And then the next part of it is that there would be something substantive that could go to libraries and schools and, and so on. And I have to say that I think there are about a dozen of them here. I couldn't thank sufficiently the, 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 the scholars and wrote papers and wrote their papers with the generosity of saying, we hope to publish your paper. And they did the work afterwards. You yourself, John. In chairing that, those sessions. But from the very beginning, this is, this is important. When I had this idea in my mind, uh, there had been meetings here in Orson of the committee uh, that was advising government. And, and, but I felt that this was something that, that I could do. And I went to Garrett immediately, Garrett and I, 
immediately what we said is that he, he heard some themes from me, we discussed them. So we thought these are the themes, but our next thing, and this is where he could be most valuable to me then, is that who has been publishing centrally on this and who has been used to doing new work. And our whole point was that we would have a diversity of opinion. And we did, I believe, achieve that. A contested it, opinion, yes. yes Perhaps the audience doesn't know this, but these two men, when they were a little bit younger, were the demon debaters from UCG. <laughs> that was the, the team. Yes, we did. I, isn't that right? In a golden age of, his, his, <laughs> of uh, university debating. We were robbed, of course. <laughs> <laughs> by, by UCG yes, with Dylan Hayes. We did. We made no it to the semi-final. Made it to the semi-final. So I can, anyway, Geroid. Could I, I, I think um, I, I, I think the president has, has has very comprehensively given the the context within which the the, the series was embarked on. It might be no harm to remember, though, that uh, from the point of view of the president and the role of the president and the office. Uh, as a key fulcrum within which this Martinabur reflection uh, could take place, that throughout the period of the decade of centenaries, obviously, the president was going to be present at numbers of state occasions and formal occasions in which he would make a speech or make a... Con These are generally events that are context-bound. There is a certain formality, not to say a formulaic character to them, there's a ceremonial dimension. Uh, and the performative context for them, if you like, is not discursive. Uh, it's, 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 it's about making a statement. Is it not indeed that those speeches were not likely to provide overmachnev or room for or food for thought? It's simply that the, the, the actual context of them largely framed them, if not confined them. Uh, so that what was envisaged by the president before this began to take shape at all was something that would be uh, more open and more discursive. And the way to do that, if possible, was to have uh, a, a series of reflections of a discursive kind. And it was urgent, and I think you're right, <coughs> it was urgent uh, and indeed necessary because there had been such a huge quantity and such, if you like, challenging originality in the publications of the last generation and a half on all of these. One, one, had, one for example, we only need to look at the, 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 the materials available in 1966 for the 50th anniversary and the historical and the distinguished historians at the time and to see what had happened in the intervening period in terms of the kind of research that was being done, the areas that had been long uh, neglected or suppressed, voices that had not been heard, and that we're now re-emerging. So there was an urgency about at least making, make, making that part of a wider discussion. And I think the president saw that and grasped it and saw the discursive context as a strategy to, it should take place. And of course, as he rightly said, extremely fortunate to have a cohort, a willing cohort of distinguished scholars and thinkers who were prepared to participate in this. Uh, and I, I think that, that, that made it such a, a very unique episode in terms of uh, public discussion of important and complex matters, but with a wide access, John, as you rightly say. Uh, 
And also there was probably one other matter that I perhaps present might say a little few words on that was is a presiding reflex of his his public pronouncements and his general uh, address to the Irish public throughout the presidency. And that is this notion of ethical, the ethical commemoration. What is an ethical commemoration? How do we have an ethical uh, reflex in thinking about the past and in thinking about controversial and contested matters? Um, you might say a little word on that. By way of, of a side which has absolutely, I, I am a wee bit in shock uh, because notwithstanding the fact that I have great regard for the editor of the time of the county edition of the Limerick Leader, <laughs> I am astonished that anybody would think De Valera needed defending in brewery, but that's, that's by the by, as it were, even from John Bowman, but that's, that's by the by, as it were. <laughs> if, if I could ask you, the president, yeah, yeah. that ethical dimension was, was yes. embedded in it from the beginning, wasn't it? Oh, very much so. I think uh, it began... I suppose, first of all, one of the great advantages of we all being here is that we, we all recognize the importance of history, and may it always be so, and the importance of, of historical research and for a diversity of publications. But I was also interested in a philosophical aspect and an ethical aspect, and I, I I'm interested in that area, both in ethics of speech and ethics of publication, and it's for another day in relation to the ethics of communication and the challenges of the ethics of communication in relation to publication and, and publics. But in that sense, what I had in mind it was, was that it, a piece of work uh, emerges objectively, it is interpreted, it is offered with authenticity by the author, whoever she or he is. And what, where you're coming to then is that, so that it would not be abused or manipulated or used for a purpose uh, for which the person had participated in the research and so that interested me. So when I was saying as well is that one should use, for example, recollected events and the interpretation of them and the response to the interpretations of them in a way that set out to try and discover a deeper truth rather than to use it as an instrument of enmity or an instrument for just idle, as it were, uh, casual destruction and, and so on. And it, I, 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 that is important, and I, I said it from the, from the very, very beginning. The other part of it was the, what I have hinted at already, is that there is a suggestion, <clears throat> I, 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 I gave it a practical exp a challenge in a way by saying, one thing we can't have is amnesia, the, the kind of colloquial phrase, put it all behind you, we must put it all behind us. It's, it's offensive. And I always used, way before I began this project, on the idea of offence of saying to people in Northern Ireland, for example, who have lost a partner, who have somebody in a wheelchair, somebody's been injured, or whatever like that, to say to anybody who has had a loss, to say that it's, I would regard it as morally unacceptable to some extent to be satisfied with saying something like that. So in that sense then, what one had to do was to try and say, can we in fact uh, reimagine the space of all of these events in a way in which we will allow a diversity of different 
recollections to come to come off each other. I was very influenced, I have to say, before I began all of this, when I in the first presidency, papers I had, a paper I'd given drawn heavily on, on, on the work of Hannah Arendt and that long discussion. Because very now and again, in popular press, people would say, well, we must forgive and things like that. But there wasn't much work. Uh, Hannah Arendt did the work of forgiveness and the impossibility and the difficulties and so forth. And I, I had, so that had come, come into this, that's how I used the word ethical in the, in the first sense. It was very much, and then also we had uh, Ricard's big work. And I got, we were very lucky, Gil Blairson came to the very first session and he took on these issues. What is memory? How do you do memory? And how do you do it in a way that meets and the we had an odd, I mean, one of the best publications, unfortunately it was in a, not unfortunately, but it happened to be in a, in a, a Studio Hibernica, I think, but FX Martin on 1916. Yeah. And there were 16 persons, men, actually, now that I think of it, I was saying persons for political correctness in case I was leaving out the women, but they, there were no women in the RIC. Um, but as it happens, there were 16 men in the RIC for every one in the GPO in, in, in 1916. And he brings out this, the national amnesia of families that did not know their own past. And it's, it's just a very striking statistic, but he develops that very tellingly. So we had, and I remember that the, the RTE minutes in the board meeting, when RTE was celebrating 1916, celebrating is the wrong word, but commemorating 1916, um, it was talking about um, that it would be a, in the spirit of, I've forgotten the exact phrase that was used, but it was quite surprised to me that Theo Moody, who was a member of the board of the Orti Authority at the time, sort of went along with it because it was, it was to celebrate the national the nationalism of 1916 and not the social the socialist dimension. That, despite a lot of achievements in the television coverage of 1966. Yeah, I, the 50th I, I anniversary. Think, yeah, I, I think when we were talking, uh, President, there was there is I suppose when you move chronologically, there there was something monumental. In, in, and frozen about the narrative of 1916, 60, 50 years on and so on. But then 1916 is a very particular dramatic, almost theatrical episode. Uh, the complexity was more, more easily, if I can put it that way, or more comfortably teased out. Complexity of different levels and so on, voices, marginalization, social class, women, when you come to the later phase, to 1919 to 22. Because in that case, you are looking at uh, the micro-histories of place, you're looking at the personal testimonies, including the personal testimonies that were becoming available through the record of the pensions, the files, and the, the army stuff, but also with a huge tsunami of local publications uh, from different people with different points of view and different backgrounds, but essentially all of it producing much richer and in a much more complex and contradictory mosaic of the way in which the historical process unfolded. And that was precisely the kind of setting within which you were most comfortable, that essentially you did need to look at and to listen to uh, these various perspectives. I, I, think for, I think, for example, that, that without a doubt, the papers, that that's, <coughs> excuse me, that's the value, I think, of, of the full two volumes, 
uh, is that the papers challenge each mm. other. And they do challenge, for example, uh, without a doubt, you, 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 you could sustain the suggestion uh, that class has not been given sufficient attention in relation to Irish history. You could do it in, in relation to another more subtle thing, which was very important, was the prevalence of attitudes associated with property and land. I know in uh, very much one of the most moving parts of writing and the contributions I made myself was really writing uh, 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 about the people who emigrated and also the people, for example, remember, who didn't get land and the people who lost their jobs and, and all of this, which was, which was very important. And the Land Commission records, which are so important, the land commission going records to become available. Was, I think that was one of the suggestions that has come yes. out of the thing. Of the, of this, very, yeah. very important when the records are, uh, are very, very, very important. I think as well there's something that's, there's more, where people want to take it all further, which they can, in relation to, for example, the suggested importance of respectability. And what was respectability? I, I, I was very anxious that that would, would come out because there was respectability of property, uh, respectability of uh, uh, compliance with absolutely restrictive uh, 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 conditions in relation to, uh, to, to sexual behavior. Also in relation to um, where I think I think I, I do say it very, very well. I, in the, I think in number five and number six, where we are envisaging the 1930s, and if you think of what the 1930s released in many cases, you would say, was it like the conservative stability of the second half of the 20s, the unwillingness to confront issues of poverty, exclusion, emigration, and so forth, that created a kind of composure that would then, in, it, in itself, uh, become would consume, as it were, uh, living, breathing societies, change relations between genders, have a certain attitude towards what was a failure and how were you to interpret immigration uh, was it in, the, in this period? Have they gone to where they're going to lose their soul? and we're taking our, their receipts at the same time, just in case. Mm. But the fact of the, the, that, when that all comes to an acute point in uh, public manifestations in the 1930s. So I think there is a way in which the, the, these papers are very, very, I was so grateful that people came forward with them uh, in a way. And something that I think is, uh, I, I think is important in history, and that is people wearing their vulnerabilities. When I, was, uh, when I look back at how uh, different events have been celebrated in Ireland, uh, there is a kind of uh, a natural enthusiasm for the local heroic. But uh, on the other side, it's for the local suffering and for the because they're gone, and uh, it's many many cases or they've lost or they're at a disadvantage. That that is we're back again you know, to the idea that the fullness of the historical account has to carry some kind of ethical impulse. I think there's also something, perhaps when, when those who are not familiar with the, the, the who didn't see the full series will, will read, uh, uh, there is an anxiety sometimes expressed uh, 
that the sheer volume of personal histories, the compelling part of the story, the individual story, and the fact that that was facilitated by documentation, that one of the, the, the risks of the historiography, the benefits everybody is, you know, complexity in the mosaic is, is saluted. But one of the risks is that there is such a, 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 a if you like, a, a sheer plenitude of individual stories, all of them compelling and all of them engrossing, that the ideological larger narratives, which were probably too calcified in the, in the older historiography, were left aside or elided. Now, I think that's, that's not something that the, the, the contributions to the Machnov series uh, could be accused of, because the larger context of empire, uh, within which these events took place and should be considered, uh, the immediate context in Ireland of partition and the northern experience right through this to partition, um, these, these, these are given not only their place, but they are teased out and considered by those who have written about them, who have reflected on them, and who encapsulate or distill their findings uh, and their insights into contributions. So that it, it, one can argue about the balance, but the balance between the particularity of local circumstances, which enriches the sense of complexity, and a larger, if you like, uh, almost imposed coherence of some ideological lens through which to see these. That's a difficult balance to achieve. It's a difficult balance to achieve even in a single volume. It's very difficult in a, in a, a volume of collected essays and papers. Uh, but it is one that was kept in view, as it were, uh, all the way through uh, uh, the series. And, and I, think, I think it is, as the President has said, it's, it's a measure of the of the generosity of the contributors and of their immediate, if you like, identification of what was required, essentially, I, that you yeah. get that. I um, um, just want to correct one point. I made a mistake there a few minutes ago when I was talking about the 16-1. That's not the RIC. It was the Great War and the, the, the War of the numbers, yeah, yes. F.X. Martin, but it's a terrific essay from 1966 and ought to have been really collected in, within a book, I think, itself. Yes, it um, and I think there is... Uh, Something that Garrett has said that, that is very, very important, I think John Horne's paper, with, for example, has said, is that there was a very, very deliberate attempt uh, in choosing the, the themes and in asking the, the contributors, because that we weren't on our own as things were happening. Uh, there were great events taking place uh, in Europe. The discussion on empire was taking place. The proximity of Ireland as the most challenging component of the most successful empire is a context, is a part of context um, that can't be ignored. And then, uh, as well, I think perhaps if we tried, if, uh, well, I don't. Maybe did it get enough? There, uh, it is that history uh, is as much about those who sought peace as those who sought war. For example, we did discuss in a number of the papers the different attempts um, uh, to avoid the war, the, the, avoid the civil war, and, uh, yes. and then the several efforts during the, the civil war, the, the destructiveness of what was happening in many cases and the attempts. And you also had, as it were, in a great living on the Clune affair in relation to Monsignor Clune's proposals for peace, uh, the that uh, the military view would be a military uh, uh, 
victory as possible, when in fact, actually, even if it would have cost so much less, was possible. So, and again, that, that there's, there are very insightful lessons. Uh, and, th and it's uh, beginning, isn't it? We, the, this, this is a book about questions as much as it is about answers, isn't yes, it? Yes, I think so. And I think that the, 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 the other side of it is, is, is being... being, being if you like, there is the vulnerability that at any one time that a person is aware of as a person, but there is the vulnerability that is shared. Uh, I, I had a, a, a particular concern very, very much for those, as I said, as the 1923 Land Act was going to be featuring, as I was coming to numbers for numbers five or six, you had the domain land still to be divided, and we had that very fine paper in relation to the, the, the land around the big house and so forth, and the pressure on, on that. But, we had thousands of people in prison, and uh, in addition, as people came out, uh, it, it was, it, you, you could argue that there is room for reflection, not only in really what the, the push for land and the security it offered uh, gave not only in Ireland, but in all the countries in Europe. Because you could look and you see in relation to the French rural history, and you could see the same. And then I, I thought of something too, as I, very, very much as, the, as I was listening to the papers, about the, something I've looked at elsewhere, that is in relation to, apart from the social sciences, we had people who were writing literary accounts. And the literary accounts were telling us, uh, uh, sometimes, for example, after the events that took place in the foundation of the state, they became, uh, uh, they took on a heroic uh, quality. I think that my friend, Padre O'Donnell, for example, the gates flew open, uh, is very different um, than, for example, Joseph Campbell's account of his account in relation to the Cora and so on. And so that uh, there is that uh, tendency to make uh, our history niche that we have to kind of resist uh, uh, too. Uh, we, might, we might also say, I suppose, uh, uh, now that they're available uh, in, with the seal of Oris and Ochtaran and the President, that it was not envisaged, nor is it the case, of course, that this was to form an official orthodoxy, a new orthodoxy, even a new consensual account based on scholarship and so on. As you rightly said, it was about raising questions yes. and inviting a continuing questions. Uh, the, the splendid preparation and the crest and so on does not in any sense represent intellectually an imprimatur of any kind or any particular version or interpretation of history. It is, in fact, simply the, the sign of the house inviting. It's a talachoskritze, an open house for discussion of alternative views. Um, one thing that did occur to me, and I think the President has, has, has put his finger on it, was the, um, the notion of, of valorising the heroic, and more particularly valorising victory, even victories, small victories, and, and sacrifice as victory, uh, rather than simply considering the losers, as it were. Uh, the, the late Brendan O'Hare was great for 
getting societies, imaginary societies, and he, one of his proposals was the Sean O'Dear and Glanna Society, those who were worsted in the game. And he thought it should have in Ireland a large membership, a very large <laughs> membership. <laughs> That's as the case may be. But it is the case that you do need to consider those who were worsted in the game of all sites, yes. of persuasions and so on, north and south and elsewhere. Um, might I, John, just yes. ask one, probably from yes. my point of view, one, one, one thing before we conclude, it would be a pity to miss it. And I suppose we, all of us, hearing your speeches over the years, Michael, and, and more particularly after looking at the way in which this was envisaged and so on, probably are aware of the fact that in addition to the public importance of this kind of discussion being prompted and hosted and encouraged by the first citizen, which is itself an important, a very important point from the point of view of civic virtue and the, the, the sense of the republic. Uh, there is, and there is always in, in this period because of, of, of historical circumstances of your own, there is, if you like, a set of um, familial and, uh, and indeed filial uh, currents coursing through your own engagement with this period and its aftermath in particular. Uh, and I think that meant something very special to you in addition to the public role of hosting such uh, a series of machnev, as it were, or reflections, that there was that familial and filial uh, set of reflexes uh, sharpening your engagement with it. Would that be a fair comment? And Oh, I think it is, and uh, it's... <laughs> It, it is fair. I, I think it's a question as well that uh, more or less uh, something that uh, when I mentioned it in, in uh, I think, paper in the fifth paper, uh, it wasn't a case of it being knocked out of me or being revealed. It is something that is, has to be transacted. And it's something that in my case, uh, in the case, is not finished at all. Um, it, it is the fact, like, so my family's connection with, with the, or in Benares follows my, my mother's a very, very young woman, was the secretary of the, the Schoenfeldt-Skarl County Court, but most importantly, my father uh, and, my, and, my, and his family, there were ten in my father's family, uh, uh, only my father uh, uh, um, uh, had, had children, uh, and, and uh, my brother, my uncle Peter, was. Uh, they were officers in in the War of Independence. My my my, my uncle in the East Clare Brigade. My father was began in the East Clare Brigade. Had as, as did his brother and my my aunt. They all were involved in the War of Independence, starting off in East Clare. And then my father, who was trained in bar and grocery. And, was moving through different shops and managerial positions, was in Charleville, and he was the uh, intelligence officer of the battalion in what was the Cock Number Two Brigade that became the Cock Number Four Brigade. And then in the, during the war, when the Civil War started, uh, my uncle Peter joined the National Army in 1922, and he's in Renmore Barracks in the First Western and th then but my father has continued and uh, in, in he has taken the other side and he is a, the intelligence officer for the battalion and uh, and he's up he's in, he's at this stage he had started a, 
in the company in Charleville. So he's continuing right to the end of the, the Civil War. He's arrested in February in uh, Liscarl, in my, which in my, with my, my mother's brother. And at that stage, there are only three members still free. There is uh, Mr. Motherway, the commandant. There's the adjutant, Mr. Smith. And there's my father, who's the intelligence officer. So he spends some time in Limerick Jail. and. The anxiety of my aunts at the time are very much, he was at risk in Limerick because of his rank as the intelligence officer. So then he's moved to the Curragh and he is from uh, late February in 1923 until the 21st of December uh, 1923 in the Curragh. And uh, he's released at Christmas, just before Christmas. And uh, then his mother, in, died in, 1920, in, in, in just in the following January, 1924. But the interesting thing about where it all comes together, in a way, is that at this stage, when everyone is back in Newmarket and Fergus County Clare, my father comes home from the Curra and so on. By now, there's a great deal of land agitation. Kevin Higgins has set up a special unit to deal with land agitations. My father's name has been handed in all of the time as being person most likely involved, which means he has to leave his parish. So he leaves his parish and he goes off. Then. And it's a very interesting thing about many of the people in the trades. It's an important distinction in the history, in a way, is that anyone who had some land left the car and went back to the land. But dear friends like my father's Paddy O'Brien and uh, Ned Geary and people like that and, and Colin Cork. But if you didn't, supposing you weren't going to get your job back in, in, as a manager of a shop or a traveller. In, in the case of when I look at the Kerry's figures, for example, two-thirds of those who are officers have emigrated to the United States. And you would therefore a great deal of the reason why you have very, very many people with uh, what were people to do. Uh, they wouldn't get a job, so they tried to rent. That's why you got so many Republican publicans because they would rent a space and try and open their own business. And, and certainly in the case of Mr. Motherway, a whole series of ones that, I would, that my father would have talked to me about. But I have to say this, which is maybe I didn't put in the paper when I was giving it, is the damage to the health of the people involved was incredible. Uh, uh, they, 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 um, both in the case of uh, my, my own uh, family members, had very chronic, they, had, they were uh, living in dugouts during the War of Independence, they had very, very serious health issues. Then, in it, for example, about it, for example, my father married my mother in 1938, which is 15 years after they first knew each other and, and so forth. They, there is a, a huge issue then in relation to which so many good scholars are working on now in relation to the disgraceful behaviour in the, the pension applications. Uh, I just say that in the case of my, my father was given a, a pension in 1960. Uh, he was uh, he had asked to appear before the police to show who and they kept asking, the bureaucracy was incredible, it kept asking people to produce witnesses and papers that had long been lost. And he died in 1964. But even before that, it, it had a, a stroke. And I remember the bureaucracy was such uh, that uh, when he had a stroke, and we were youngsters uh, down in that, 
trying to cash the check, things like that. You had to, with the next, you had to get a doctor's certificate. And uh, I do think it was very, when I was looking, some people say, have you any papers? I do. And they said, when my father died in, 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 in January 1964, he was owed uh, £9 pounds and four shillings, and it ended up as three pounds two and threepence because income tax had come in and there was a <laughs> and for the three pounds two and threepence my mother had to we had to ask a question had she taken out probate to my father who had nothing. Oh. Well I just no, I just only say that to complete the thing. That's for your yes. memoirs. So you, 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 that's, that's, that should be that has to be for your memoirs. it is the thing I this is when I say that this is to be transacted very, very, very much. It's today, the people who are our citizens today, and I've also felt it's a great privilege to be present of Ireland in many cases, is that it is the, the texture of their lives, and that is my hope for the Mocknev series in many cases, that introduces people who read it to a feeling for texture. Yeah. And uh, there's, you know, that the, the, the people have had different experiences in different circumstances and different things like that. But they're trying to make something out of their lives. And I think that the ones then abroad, uh, in many cases, you, you had that the notion about whether or not it was right to go to, um, to America. And that didn't change until 1925 when they you had to have a certificate from the IRA to say that you were either ill or that you were going to organise. And that was interesting. One of the letters to my father is this, is that uh, there are some people agitating, trying to say, can, can de Valera lift this restriction? So that, and that, and actually it didn't matter in the end because he was writing letters saying the officers must tell all the people there to stay in the country and everything like that. And people were writing to Donegal and Kerry said, the officers are already gone, so there's nobody <laughs> to tell the other people to stay. But I think in it all, the way I say it now, and I say it just as to end, to, to in this in a certain way about it, you have to be able uh, to take all the lumpiness of the experience of today and yesterday, you know, the whole shit, it was never niche. And it will never be neat in history, but history is so essential. And I think that history has a, a value that is beyond itself as narrative. I think it is an impulse and the impulse towards wanting to understand the other and the, the sharing, in fact, of, in many cases. And out of it, too, which is that something you were mentioning, you, I, I, I'm not a practical historian, but there, some people have created beauty out of history. In other words, that say, there is out of the truth of the telling, and even certain kind of aesthetic is created, which is quite beautiful in the way something is told or recorded or left there for others to enjoy. Thank you. That's Thank too you long an answer to you. Thank you very much. I just want to conclude with one. First of all, both of these men have done an enormous amount for history itself and for history in the curriculum and defended it at some very... Say one thing before you do things, is that the department 
has in fact, and the government has supported us enormously in making possible the publication of this, which will go to the libraries and go to the schools. And I do want to thank the, the, the minister for that. And I wanted to thank RTE, who have been so good to us all the way through, and to the people who are responsible for the RTE player. And uh, they, they're the people, in, in, in fact, who will achieve most of the, the reach of the thing. Sorry, John. And the, the reach is, is, is here. But anyway, it, it is a wonderful experience for me to talk to such a to be joined with such a wonderful audience, and and with such speakers. I was once asked some years ago by the history master in my daughter's school, would I talk to the parents about the decline in history in the curriculum and the, de the general decline of history? And I said I would be pleased to do that. But I said. What, what about the audience? Are you, is, is not the said decline going to minimise the number of people who are going to come and listen to me? And he said, look, you do the paper and I'll do the publicity. So that night in, in Dublin, there was flash flooding. There was, and my wife said to me, nobody's going to go out and listen to you talking about uh, history tonight. So I said, well, it's been publicised. I uh, will, of course, be going. And when I arrived at the school, I was absolutely delighted because the car park was full. What I did not know was there, were, there was a master class in how to get your bust back after breastfeeding. There was another master class in cellulite and another one in stretch marks, what is to be done? And when I went into the, into the uh, house, into the theater in the school, there were three people in the audience. So I read my paper, my wife said to me when I came back, how did it go? I said, terrific. I spoke to all of the audience afterwards. <laughs> we, had a great, we had a great chat. And sometime later, sometime later, I was, I was the, the, uh, the spouse at a, at a meeting in Paris of the World Psych Psychiatric Association or something. And there, was, there were 2,000 psychiatrists at this thing. And Sorbonne, of course, was nearby and, and all the uh, attractions of Paris and the bistros and what have you, and, and uh, I was talking to some, some man there who was reading a paper, and I said, I spoke recently to an audience uh, of three, he said, oh, he said, you, you were lucky, he said, I've just come from room B, and he thought he could see his name in lights, paper read to the World Conference of Psychiatrists in Paris with the date, he said, and I was talking to an audience of one. And when I went down to thank the audience for being there, this guy said to me, don't move now, I'm on next. <laughs>